1: our true work begins. Welcome to the Elysium Project. In the Olympian tradition, Elysium is the highest heaven the human mind can conceive. Join Hercules on his latest and greatest quest, making the life we live and the earth we share a paradise for all.
2: and welcome to the Elysium Project. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and today I am greatly honored to announce a new adventure. With uh, Chauncey Brown III, I will be taking a voyage into interfaith dialogue where people who stand in very different places um, manage to see much of the world in the same way. And uh, this is being done in hopes that it increases civil discourse and it really makes uh, people ponder how much better our world would be if we operated from our commonalities rather than from our differences. Greetings and welcome, Chauncey. I'm great. Hello. Hello. Hi, can you hear me?
3: Yes, uh, thank you very much for welcoming me on, on the show, Hercules. It sounded, uh, I know that we've been experiencing technical difficulty on the shows, and it, for a brief moment it sounded like I was cut out and back in. I didn't know if the show called drop, but I'm very honored and thankful uh, to be on your show. Yes, my name is Chauncey I. Brown III. My Hebrew name is Brother Isaiah uh, Ben Judah. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'll just jump right in and start talking about uh, my experiences from boyhood and how I came uh, into Judaism. If that's okay with you, unless you have some specific questions you'd like that to ask
2: be, me to start. No, off. no, no. The type of show. How would you prefer to be called uh, Brother Isaiah?
3: Um, it, it, you've met me as Chauncey. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, it's fine, um, you know. Either way, uh, usually I use my Hebrew name for my other uh, Hebrew brothers and sisters, uh, but that's fine, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, either way, it, it, you know, I, I'm fine with it. Uh, but once again, I want to say thank you for allowing me an opportunity. Well, thank you for
2: being here. We had quite an adventure getting here, but that's a tale told uh, on another yes. day. Yes. Uh, so go ahead. I'd like to hear the whole tale. I heard parts of it and now. I'd like to hear the whole.
3: Tale. Uh, sure. I grew up in, uh, in Patterson, New Jersey um, in 1962, uh, which was a melting pot then and it still is. But I grew up in a predominantly um, Jewish neighborhood. Um, you know, I'm an avid student of Hebrew, Aramaic uh, Judaism and Egyptian history. I began my journey in faith with God uh, as a little boy. I grew up in a Presbyterian African Methodist Zion church. And I went to Catholic school. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, until I got older, I didn't realize that my father uh, practiced Judaism at home during the Passover with the matzahs and the bread, and I never realized it uh, until I got older uh, that there were books around the house about Judaism, about the Passover, about the Holy Days. Um, So I was exposed to... um, Actually, there are three different religions uh, when I was growing up Well, actually four uh, In the house uh, somewhat Judaism I went to Catholic high school Like I said, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church And, and Presbyterian Church um, But as I got older, I continued uh, my search for the truth By fellowshipping I spent a couple of years of fellowshipping With the Mormon Church um, I even uh, went as far as Going to the University of the Mormon Church School out in, uh, in Hawaii wow. uh, In the early 90s, yes um, I also fellowship with, uh, with Baptists uh, I also fellowship with, um, with Muslims um, As a matter of fact, my oldest son uh, is a Muslim And he speaks Arabic uh, But I've had that experience, I've read the Quran So mm-hmm. I've gained a, a, a great respect for all religions I've studied And, and I continue to study Um, But I had a a life-changing experience, and uh, in August 21st of 2009, uh, I was incarcerated. Um, I always tell people that I didn't go to prison for the crime I committed. I went to prison for the sins I committed, and rightfully so. Um, As a result, during my incarceration, I read the Bible daily, And I would ask God to help me understand the Bible and show me the truth. Mm -hmm. So I studied the Bible faithfully for two years. And After that time, really, I had more questions than answers uh, about the Bible. Um, But I knew uh, that as long um, as I was incarcerated, um, I would not be able to search for additional answers uh, uh, until I was able to come home. Uh, After my release from prison on February 1st of 2011, I had the ability to do more extensive research on the origins of religion and its people. Uh, I attended an online course uh, with the Hebrew University of Jerusalem to learn more about Hebrew, Aramaic languages and cultures. Uh, While doing that, uh, I was also studying uh, and researching on my own Sumerian history, uh, in Egyptian history, which uh, really has the longest time periods of history that we're able to look at of civilizations yes. uh, that we have information on. Um, so I started doing that. Um, when I came out of prison, um, I had a couple of challenges. Um, I had a relapse um, with substance abuse, and um, I had to go into inpatient rehab. Um, when I came out, like I said, um, really me going to school and, and and getting involved in religion has not only strengthened my faith, but it helped me in my recovery um, with alcohol and drugs. Um, you know, I turned it over to my higher my higher authority. Uh, but in my learning and, and my studying of um, of the religion and the history of. Uh, I follow Judaism now uh, because I'm still researching and studying history of five and 10,000 years ago. Judaism is the first monotheistic uh, religion, uh, the belief in one God. Mm-hmm. So therefore, uh, I lended myself uh, to the first religion and its discipline but also as a result of feeling comfortable because I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. I watched people walk to the temple on the Sabbath. My father had a Jewish customs at the home. So I really feel more comfortable and at home um, with my faith uh, being Judaism uh, because I was exposed to it um, uh, as a child. Uh, I keep the Sabbath. I keep the holy days. um But more importantly, it's brought me, as we've talked about in other conversations, to an understanding of being to be tolerant, um, to be humble, to be compassionate to those who may have a different thought or perception of faith and religion than I do. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone has to arrive at their destination in their time and their place, and I realize how long it took me and how confused I was in looking for the truth with the many religions that I participated in until I found a home. So I'm very thoughtful and mindful of other people where they are in their religious beliefs, whether it's learning, trying to get an understanding uh, of religion or of God Um, and as long as we seek to do good and to love our fellow man and woman, I think that 's the higher the highest order in the universe, no matter what you no matter what religion you follow um, it 's the respect for the universe and the respect for everything that inhabits the animals and everything uh, that 's in it um, that we spoke about so i'm really thankful that I'm able to be on your show and to bring this message forward of faith uh, because what i 've been through with my drug addiction with prison. Uh, Only the creator uh, can keep his hands on me and renew me uh, to the Mm -hmm. person and redeem me to what I am today. And I am thankful. Um, I am blessed and thankful for all the experiences that I've had because it built character, it built integrity, and I I learned from it. The only thing I regret is the people that I may have hurt and the impact that it might have had on the people that believed in me and when I was elected official, the people that had trusted in me. Uh, that is not who I was as a person. I had a lapse of judgment as a result of my alcohol and substance abuse. Um, however, that is in hindsight um, but that brought me to where I am now with my humility, my compassion, my sensitivity for homelessness, for people with opioid addiction, um, mental health challenges. That's what makes me a more compassionate person, not only because I experience these things and live with it, okay, but I got punished as a result of them as well. So, therefore, I have, like I said, a more compassionate sensitivity to those that are less fortunate Um, and, and And not to try to turn this into politics, but that's what hurts me the most about elected officials getting elected and forgetting about the people who need the help the most that they claim that they want to help. That's what makes me different. I've been homeless. I've lived on the streets. I've been in and out of rehab. I've been incarcerated, so I know what it is to be at the top. I know what it is to be at the bottom, and I know what it is to be climbing the ladder again. And whatever you know what I can do to – go ahead, please, please, happens. help me, please, yeah.
2: Yeah, and you and you know what it is to be human because uh, the human range of experience is quite uh, wide, uh, and what's uh, quote-unquote acceptable is uh, rather narrow. And uh, what happens is people pretend. And uh, yes. for some – Uh, you, got, uh, you were ties- broken
3: I'm sorry you're breaking up
2: Oh I'm sorry uh, Can you hear me now
3: Yes I can clearly mm-hmm.
2: um, And that ties you into the rest of humanity And it gives you an insight That a uh, few people have
3: And I'm very blessed for that It's a different dynamic You know we need We need public servants In public office Not politicians Politicians have created the problems that we have. We need human beings that can identify with average people, losing their homes, high taxes, and things of that nature. Um, but my faith, going back to my faith, supersedes politics. When you serve the most high, you will love all within the universe of serving him because it's about service. It's about serving. It's about turning it over. It's about paying it forward. When I turned my life over to the most high, Chauncey removed himself from the equation. It's what can I do to better the universe? What can I do to love my neighbor? What can I do to help my brother? And that's what it's about. Um, It is what
2: it's about. Uh, A lot of people uh, ask me about my name, and they think that uh, um, my name is a sign of ego, but it isn't. It's a sign of uh, surrendering my ego to what I consider So I basically given the the person that I was what I consider to be a a vehicle or a channel for the highest, and that's what my name means. In Greek, it's called enonomati theou, that everything you do is in the name of the Most High.
3: And you know, it's ironic because uh, I I, I basically Isaiah ben Judah means the son of the Most High, basically, or son of God. So, um, yes, it's a blessing um, uh, that your Hercules and, you know, mine is well, my middle name. I was born with Isaiah. Um, I just changed my last name to Ben Judah, Isaiah Ben Judah, the son of God. Uh, but, yeah, it's very, 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 very important. Um, you know, faith today is more important, I believe, to the salvation of our humanity and I'm talking about faith of the universe. I'm talking about faith to do good. I'm not just talking about faith of religion.
2: hmm Now that's, you know? a very, uh, that's a very, that's uh, a very different thing that what most people uh, consider when they consider your uh, religion or uh, you know, anybody's religion. And people who call themselves religious are often very judgmental uh, and uh, very combative. But you're talking about something totally different, something very. You know, humbling and something to the rest of humanity
3: um, because that's what how I got to where I had to be humbled um, you know my experiences that I had had to humble me so I would learn um, remember uh, we talk about uh, they talk about Jesus remember Jesus when he went out he didn't go out to help people that were well. He went out for people like myself who weren't well. The tax collectors, the thieves, the prostitutes, the drunkards. And see, this is what people forget when they claim to be Christians or whatever they are. That's fine. But what are your actions? So I'm thankful for by you recognizing my humility takes a lot of work. Oh, yes. And it's a lot of pain that I went through. You know, nights when I was homeless, sleeping behind a gas station, I had no Bible, no nothing. But all I had to talk to was the most high. So I had someone. Uh, that faith, me leaning on that person above, no matter who someone may think he is, helped me to get out of that situation. I will never turn my back on the one who I spoke to in the middle of the night when I was by myself because he brought me out of that, whoever it might be. That has also um, driven my faithful circle because of the drugs, because of the alcohol, uh, because of the homelessness. Losing everything. Um, But
2: finding yourself.
3: Exactly. I I found... Who I really was Within this universe And what my purpose is And it's to serve the most high In all of his inhabitants
2: And you like to share your Spirituality uh, like I do On my page on uh, Facebook for instance um, I share Very generously of my spirituality I don't ask anybody to believe uh, As I believe uh, But because I found this Path That opened my eyes and opened my heart, and uh, um, yeah, I share it generously in case it can help somebody else. And I noticed that you do the same thing on your page as
3: well, yes. Uh, You know, when we are in deep faith, and I know that you're in faith, I mean, we've had personal conversations. And faith does not always mean religious, but I understand that. It could mean spiritual faith, universal faith, that you understand karma. Um, I'm very thankful to share and bless my knowledge, my experiences, encouragement, words of wisdom to people. Because, hold, and I think you, you think the same way, what yes. does it do me holding on to it if I don't share it? Correct. And you what is it also good for me, kind of me to know? Uh huh. I'm sorry.
2: That's no, okay. Go ahead.
3: No, I was gonna say Hercules. What good is it for me to know and keep it to myself? That that, right. that, that that's no good. You know, if um, if I'm not sharing what I learn, am I really being a servant of the Most High? Whatever's mine, I have acquired from the Most High. It is not mine. It it is mine. As far as to see what I'm going to do with it To share with others But it's not mine as a possession right. That's how I look at everything within the universe Whatever I'm blessed with the most High blesses it with me To share with others It's not for me to have It's for me to share And that's where love comes in And compassion Which as we could see We lose a lot of that In today's world Every, It's about me It's about selfishness it's about i i i me 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 and please i don't want anybody to ever go through what i've gone through in my life to arrive at this humility because some people would not make it you know
0: yeah, you miss uh, me
3: a lot. yeah so you know if if i can save one person that's what this is about for me okay uh because The journey that I took, there has to be a purpose for me to still be here because I should not have been on this earth based on the things that I've gone through. And I'm being mild about what I talk to you about. Um, Only there just has to be a force greater in the universe that grabbed me and took me out of that. Has to be. Oh, I agree. uh, With all due respect, I should have been dead by now. So uh, I realize that my purpose is to serve all of the inhabitants within the universe from the most high. That is my redemption. That is my purpose. My life is over. Now my, my new life is service. Service to you. Service to others. Service to my children. Service to other children. Service to humanity. That's where my journey, where my challenges Have taken me to this service.
2: And and my road has not
3: been as. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: uh, My road has not been as difficult as yours uh, or as extreme, but it's brought me to the same uh, place. And one of the things that uh, few people understand is that once you get to that place, uh, whatever way you happen to understand. Happen to you. So, for instance, uh, you are in our understanding of the universe and our approach to the universe, to the fact that other people might perceive the most high in different ways.
4: Exactly. Uh, and,
2: and that becomes okay rather than being uh, trying to convince somebody else that you have the only one way of understanding the universe.
3: Exactly And no I don't And, and I've learned that by Participating and studying various religions You know By fellowshipping with Mormons Baptists African Methodists Presbyter- I grew up Presbyterian Going to Catholic school Understanding and participating With all those different dynamics Helped me to understand Looking back in history and time It helped me do my research It helped me to understand The various denominations Okay, um, but while I'm still on this journey, and I'm on this journey for the rest of my life, it took me to Judaism, like I said earlier, because it was the first monotheistic religion. It is the one that I practice now the most out of any other religion. So therefore, that's why I say I subscribe or follow Judaism at this time, um, because it is the most uh, that I follow the holy days and the most disciplined. Uh, that I follow from the Old Testament um, But that is my commitment uh, To The most high saving my life uh, And it's ironic just to share a little story with you When sure. I was in prison There was a quote in the Bible That really stuck out in my mind um, Because some of the things that I've done in the past I'm not very very proud of um, and there was a, a scripture in the Bible that said The children suffering from the sins of the Father Well it took me a couple of years But when I got that concept I always thought about When God spoke to Sarah and Lot About don't look back when they left Sodom and Gomorrah And Sarah looked back and turned into a pillar of salt My point being is I asked the Most High, I will turn from all of my ways. Please don't let my children suffer from the sins that I have committed. Um, That's so profound. That, yes. So that really turned I mean, I have two daughters and two sons. And I thought about the things that I did. I don't want my kids to suffer from my sins. So that was very, very powerful for me. For my children and for me to make that commitment to the Most High, and I made that commitment to Him, and I haven't wavered. Um, I mean, except when I got out, my stumbles of rehab and stuff like that. But when I got back on my footing, um, it's been about what uh, six years, seven years now. I came out of rehab in 2012. It's been seven years now. Uh, I haven't wavered, and I've been consistent and disciplined. And I see the blessings that the Most High has given me through my children. I want for nothing. I just want that my children to be happy and safe and all of humanity to be happy and safe.
2: And you've approached this uh, very uh, systematically. You've uh, uh, entered the public arena again. Uh, You've uh, formed an organization to uh, help people uh, who are sharing uh, your um, thoughts with others through your radio show. Um, you write, so you report. You, you're you're yes. really out there uh, engaging the world and giving your gift.
3: Thank you. And that's what it's about, um, paying it forward. Um, I learned that in the 12-step program. Rehab and doing step work has been awesome to help me in the development and the recovery of my life. Um you know, so, thank you for allowing me to, to, to telling me that you notice that I'm doing these things that I'm doing because it's a part of me now just to give and give um, but I'm very, very thankful and blessed that I'm able to share my knowledge and experience like I said with other people. if it saves one life, then it was worth it for whatever I went through and to prevent anyone else from going through what I went through. Um, In the near future, you know, I want to talk about ethics um, and politics and things of that nature, uh, the pitfalls for young people getting involved in politics, but the ironic part is, is me running for mayor now, it's not something that I want to do, it's something that I have to do, Um, and what I mean by that is I have the ability, the knowledge, the qualifications, but I also have the will, and What I mean by the will, everybody has will, but where does their will lie? And that's where we have to look at that perspective in politics. Where does a person's will lie? We don't look at that. We look at the superficial stuff. Hey, where do you stand on this issue? Where do you stand on that issue? Where do you stand on your will? And That's a very interesting dynamic, and I use that in one of my quotes, is that, Um, we need to start serving the will of the people. And we're not doing that. When you look at cities, the politics are dominating those cities. That's why they're in ruins. When you're serving the people, the communities will flourish.
2: Yes, that that is something that we need desperately in politics, especially in times like these.
3: Exactly. So, you know, Would I like to win as mayor? Absolutely. But for me, it's not about winning. It's about sharing the message, the thoughts, the ideas. Like I say in my my tagline, okay, we the people must change the direction of Patterson. Politics will not save Patterson. The will of the people will save Patterson. And as long as any city continues to play politics, that will continue to be the demise of that city. If we look at our founding fathers and them as statesmen, um, I think that they would be a little upset on where this country is today. But that's another whole uh a a whole <laughs> <perspective>. <laughs> You know.
2: So um, I'm excited about our conversations because. Thank you. Um, We're very polarized as a a nation and as a world, in fact, and not that that hasn't always been true uh, to some extent or another throughout uh, human history, but now it seems like it's increasing rather than uh, decreasing. Uh, We're not grasping, you know, uh, operating from the humanity we all share. We're focused on our teams as they battle each other uh, on various uh, stages, religious, political, cultural. Um, and it's very important uh, to operate from that common humanity because we all see things differently depending on where we're standing and where we've stood and how much we've been able to absorb from the places we've stood in our, our standing. And perspectives can change, so you don't really need to hang on to uh, the perspective you've heard. But by seeing things from different perspectives, uh, instead of being enemies, we get a bigger picture if we dialogue about what we're seeing. Because then we can grasp a truth that's higher uh, than the one that we currently have. So um, we have a lot in common. and But then we also stand in different places uh, uh, in terms of monotheism and polytheism and uh, political yeah. ideology. But that's okay mm-hmm. with me because I'm looking forward yes. to learning from you because you're a smart yes. man. You're a man with a heart. Uh, is a journey to discover why you uh, the way you see them from where you're standing and sharing why I see things. And I believe that from this uh, dialogue will come a greater understanding, and that's what I'm excited
3: about. Uh, amen. And also, you know, you made me think and go back. Uh, when I was in prison, there's one thing I did every day uh, on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, I read the whole 22 chapters of Revelations. The reason why I brought that up is as we're talking about the times now that we see, um, they talk about the end times in Revelations. There is only going to be, Hercules, so much we can do before the rapture because these things that are happening have been already stated in the Bible have to come to pass for whatever's going to unfold in the future. Which put me in a different perspective of thought. Um, I mm-hmm. will do the best that I can in my capacity right. to help and save. Sure. However, a lot of the things that we're seeing is supposed to happen for the second coming of whoever. And I'm saying that whoever because I don't want to insult Anyone else's beliefs But if you look at the book in the Bible Just as an educational tool In Revelations it talks about the times That we are in now And it's something for people To consider whether you're religious or not
2: Right It it is
3: You know And that's where I uh, I try to be careful When I talk about uh, my Religious views Is different than an educational view And I try to share it educational-wise. I don't think anyone should impose their will upon anyone else of their beliefs. But I believe that uh, if I have the opportunity, which you've given me, which I'm very thankful and blessed, to be able to share my experience and how I've arrived at this and my thoughts and experiences, then I think we all, like you said, should engage in civil discourse to learn to understand because we arrive how we arrive at our destiny by our past experiences. And because we all don't share the same experiences, like you and I talk, we still can arrive at the same place, and we still yes. can move together, um, even though we didn't. But we, we went through two different paths, but we still are connected now. <laughs> I right. you, you, you know what I mean? Uh, but yes. like you said, it's important. We can learn from one another. We are learning from one another, and that's what it's about. It's not about what I know is better, or the religion I think is more or better No, it's not., hey, listen, I believe and believe in something. as long as it's for the betterment of the universe and humanity, I'm good with it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I mean? I mean, I understand that concept, you know, which I think is important, you know, um, a lot of people, and I'm OK with people who doubt or don't believe in the most high. I understand that. Uh, It took me most of my life and the challenges I went through just to come to this point. So I'm a very understanding person. When people have challenges with faith, they doubt belief, I understand because I've been in all those places.
2: And that's given you, instead of feeling uh, further victimized, Uh, you became empowered and you found yourself. And that is something I wish would happen to everyone as they pass through their their life. Uh, Many people are crushed by life. Uh, They fall into uh, patterns and uh, uh, wind up causing a lot of harm. Uh, But you confronted that face on, and uh, you're very open with sharing what happened to you. Uh, And this is good because... um, life as it should be isn't as it actually is. And we really need to understand what things actually are if we're to solve any of the problems in this world, if we're going to be of any use. So we have to really my, share our own experience and understanding.
3: Uh, thank you so much. My biggest challenge was facing my fears. Once I was able to face my fears Once I was able to face myself Once I was able to be honest with myself Once I was able to hold myself accountable For all the things that I did wrong Once I became honest With myself Then I could be honest with other people Yes You know That's where recovery starts I can't get better If I'm not honest with myself And I can't stay better if I don't share what happened to me with others.
2: Amen to that. That, that is at the heart of it all. And I'm looking at the clock. Our journey for today is almost over. Super. Um, so I'm looking forward to our next. Uh, you have a wonderful radio show here on block talk radio, and you have other uh, ways that people can um, further explore your world. Would you care to share how people can uh, get in touch with you?
3: Uh, yes, um, you can join me. Um, well, I have a Facebook page. Uh, if you're concerned, if you're interested in learning about my faith, you can go to my Facebook page. It's Brother Isaiah Ben Judah on Facebook. Uh, or if you just want to connect with Chauncey Brown, uh, I'm Chauncey I Brown the uh, Third. It's Chauncey C H A U N C E Y I B R O W N. It's three R D. Uh, on Facebook. Um, and then uh, look me up, connect, and uh, I'll share a word with you. I really appreciate you having me on the show, Hercules. Uh, God bless everyone. God bless this country. I look forward to being on the show again.
2: May Olympus and God and the universe all bless you as well. Thank you. It's been an awesome journey so far. I forward uh, to the next uh, step.
3: Have a good night, and once again, I want to thank you and your audience for your, for your, for your time today. God bless.
2: God bless. And okay, we're going to listen to a quick song. You too, uh, We're okay. going to listen to a quick song, Bone Post Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with Astrid.
4: Hello? Hello, Astrid?
2: Hello, Astrid?
5: Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, the entire board went dead when I came (laughs) came back with my coffee and my (laughs) cough drop. I
5: know. I called a couple times. I'm saying I don't hear anything. (laughs)
2: Yes, uh, I guess the uh, technical difficulties are not over. I was so encouraged uh, with the last uh, segment. But anyway, we're here and we're back. And uh, um, the universe is, I think, telling me that the steps I wanted to take to evolve the show, I need to do them sooner rather than later. So we'll have a better show, um, uh, a better show technically, uh, much a shorter a time. Anyway, th- um, thank you so much for holding on. You're an awesome person, an awesome friend, and uh, thank you for being on the show tonight. Um, so, so many wonderful things are happening, and uh, I'd love to hear what's happening on your end. Well, uh, I'm assuming we're talking a
5: little bit about the whole labor movement, and, um, yes. and I would like to get a little bit into the insight, because uh, like all your previous guests always talk about Um, their experiences, and we always talk about the uh, art of communication and that you need to hear all different aspects of something before you make a decision. And uh, I'm sure you'll agree and a lot of our listeners will agree that we've seen a major trend in in this country in terms of having temp workers, not permanent employees. And and the concept of, of appreciation and valuing the employee is just diminishing more and more and a perfect example of this i'm sure most people know about walmart and people know about the supermarkets how it starts out small scale and before you know it it ends up being a very big movement as we see in this country i was amazed and shocked to read that google who has so much in terms of profits billions a year um has they, they rely on a growing underclass of temps and these temps now outnumber the full timers. That totally blew me away. They have profits of of over well Alphabet is the, the mother company of seven hundred and thirty nine billion dollars. And I don't wow. know how they can justify um paying hourly pay and then having minimal benefits and hiring contractors to hire part-time temp workers, no vacations, obviously. If you're sick, you're sick. You lose. Right. You just lose out. And um, we're talking people with that are doing, you know, some high-level entry jobs. People temps that have doctorates. That totally blew me away. You know, companies starting with research projects in 2014 to improve speech recognition technology hired only temps. Many of them had doctorates in linguistics to help annotate and structure the data so that Google's computers could better understand what people were saying. But to only do it in terms of temps, it blows my mind. And then I read that uh, Silicon Valley – uh, mm-hmm. most of the labor accounts for 40 to 50% of the workers at these tech firms.
2: That's what Dan uh, Yoloa and the American Workforce right. Association is uh, trying to address. And um, I noticed this first happening back in the 90s. Um, right. I was contemplating moving to uh, Southern California. <coughs> right. And I went out there and went on interviews and things like that. And I was very surprised. Uh, to find that things that were very high-paying uh, in uh, the East Coast, and, and, and at that point, those made a very good salary. I was, you know, um, known in my profession here. Uh, we're getting paid very sure. little in uh, um, the West Coast, and that uh, some things even like social workers were low-paying uh, part-time positions. So right. I figured after talking to a lot of people and going on a lot of interviews that uh, if I moved to Southern California, I'd have to work three part-time jobs to make the money that I was making with you know, one full-time job in uh, uh, New York, and that my salary um, – <coughs> forget about the salary, but the benefits – Uh, I wouldn't have any benefits, (laughs) so I'd lose like a whole benefit package, and back then I was getting uh, like a month vacation to start and all sorts of perks uh, to change my job, so all that would be lost. I decided uh, for that reason and several others not to go out to Southern California in the early 90s, but slowly I was very surprised to watch it creeping throughout the nation, and when we were in Pennsylvania – Um, And I I was working in education at the time. Uh, I was teaching in a community college, and I was doing, like, workshops, that these opportunities, uh, they are, too. Like, for instance, when I was hired by a college, they hired me one half hour short of uh, of full-time, so I'd be part-time. And I often wound up working that extra half hour, uh, and they wouldn't give it to you in money, so you wouldn't be uh, uh, working uh, full-time. They'd give it to you, like, in vacation time or something.
5: All right, so compensation, some other kind of compensation.
2: Right, but, right. But but we see
5: the Google of one of the companies that everybody aspires to work for,
3: to have yes. like
5: 120,000 temps, 121,000 temps and contractors around the world. And roughly 102 are full-time. So there's a big disparity.
2: Yes, yes, that is horrible.
5: And it also came out about Bezos with Amazon, the amount of money that that man has amassed. And people were fighting for some kind of unionization because they weren't allowed to even go to use bathroom facilities.
2: I heard
5: that. Yeah, being told to use a bottle, I, I think that's frightening.
2: On a job yes, <laughs> it's frightening. You've been there in a long right. <laughs> voyage, that's frightening. Well, but, uh, you know, it
5: just reminds <laughs> me and of stories. a job, horrible. Yeah, and, and these remind me of stories that my parents would tell me about um, the days of non-union workers. And here the unions have been diminished. I mean, I, I realize it's a seesaw, and there was a point when there was the boom economy because baby boomers were making money, were socking it away, were spending it on their familial needs depending on the ages of their children or where they were at their point in their life. And now you have baby boomers retiring. So we have some real severe issues here. Um, and, and, I, and I'm looking at some of these, these stories here about people getting paid virtually nothing and having doctorates and not having jobs and, and no rights whatsoever, and it's in both places. It started in the private sector. And it has yeah. moved the past ten years into the public sector. At one time, I can remember when I started, you know, in the teaching profession, uh, people in business were making big money because those were the boom years. And they'd say, "Well, you know, it's your fault. You you chose to go into public education, and so your salary isn't that great, but at least you get decent benefits." Right. And right. now you're seeing the situation where that's not the case. And, and in the private sector, you've had all these temp jobs, and, and, well, we need to streamline because of the economy, blah, blah, blah. But then you had all these wonderful tax breaks by the president that were to benefit these huge corporations, and they promptly went ahead and bought the stocks back, did not hire people, matter of fact, laid off people, and we see that with GM now in Ohio, massive layoffs. Massive layoffs. Between that coupled with um sending jobs overseas purposely to to have yes. people not be paid benefits and be paid maybe a quarter of the salary, uh, which has resulted in a um a booming middle class for India and a couple other countries that are doing things by phone or by factories or businesses that are shipped there to other offices. Uh, these two things coupled together has really made a major change in the way people work and and how they survive because it, it becomes increasingly difficult even professional people. It doesn't matter what the position is now. Uh, there is no safety in job security. I mean, the teaching profession, no. you know, it was a big thing, but at least you have tenure. and Well, no, because if you brought up on charges, there's a procedure, you know, you will be eliminated for your job. Now it's, it's a system where they go in with an iPad and you have to have peak productivity and everything is numbers. Forgetting that you're dealing with a lot of different variables You know, did this child have breakfast in the morning? Um, What classroom does this teacher have versus another classroom? Uh, How many children is is that person, he or she, providing for within the day? Uh, What's the size of the classroom? Are they getting help? Do they have supplies? So it's amazing how, how working conditions have
2: slid backward
5: to the 40s.
2: And those things, the time studies, never—they they were proven not to be effective ways of uh, uh, of measuring productivity or managing people. I remember uh, when I first got into uh, workforce development, uh, and uh, I studied uh, public administration and workforce development and labor and so forth. In uh, um, starting with Medgar Evers uh, and onward to other uh, colleges and uh, training programs, um, those time studies were shown not to be effective. That initially people thought they are, but they actually um motivated people to sabotage <laughs> what they were doing uh, oh, yeah. you know, rather than uh, you know finding creative ways not to work rather than actually working mm mm-hmm. and and you see
5: just as you see um what's going on now with investigations, you know how would anyone refuse or say no when you were ordered to report to a high court? And, and be investigated or give your findings. And now you see people, to me, I, I always thought when you did things like that, you know, that was uh, you're going to get, get slapped with a fine or be put in jail because you're not cooperating with the law. But yet you're seeing now investigations turning around saying, well, I want to investigate the investigators. And that's a great parallel to what's going on all across the board. You know, with, with right. the job market. Oh, well, they don't. They don't need to have this. We can't survive giving them these benefits. Well, why do you need these high profits to this extent? And matter of fact, they said CEOs are making the most unbelievable bonuses and pays
2: now. Three hundred times what their uh, employees. Make. Yes.
5: Yes, and. You could say, well, they know they deserve it. Well, excuse me, not when it's to the point where someone cannot afford to feed their family, has to work a part-time job, or um, has to worry if they have a job the next day when they go back. Um, you know, like when when does it stop being that you turn the table around and, and say, well, you know, you're you're the worker and you don't need this, and I need to show a profit. That the worker is a consumer, <laughs> so. Uh, now yes. yeah, when is um Where is the somehow. equity yeah the the equity and and I think people need to start looking and saying, "Wait a minute, never mind turning the tables around why do you need that much money yet you can't even afford to you know allow your employees to go to the bathroom, tell them not to stop to to not stop to go to the laboratory it's you know labor laws, and that's the whole thing too because you have the uh, labor department the Labor, Treasury, and Commerce Department that's supposed to be there regulating things and meanwhile things are just going totally south Uh, a good example is now you have in New Jersey the state Senate President Sweeney who is pushing major I think two dozen bills and he's going around saying he's going to cure New Jersey fiscal ills and lower taxpayer bills and the problem is the public sector and this is bear with me because i'm going to mention what he wants to do and then i'm going to go all the way back in the timeline and see how this came to be so um the bill one bill the s3753 would reduce retirement benefits for teachers and state and municipal employees who are members of the public employee retirement system and then what they want to do is basically go into a 401k plan rather than have the, the pension system. But if you know anything about the pension system, people have been paying over the years, starting all the way back yes. from Whitman, which was in 1996. It has increased continually the amount of money we are putting into the teacher's pension fund. Well, in during the boom years, she got in, you know, with union backing, and, and then she proceeded in 1997 to borrow money to balance the budget, and so mm. the story starts. She borrowed $2.75 billion from the teacher's pension fund because, oh, it's just, you know, it's just so rush, and we'll pay it back, but of course they didn't. So um, basically the New Jersey State is supposed to make contributions, make massing, matching contributions into the pension. Now they pull out $2.75 billion to balance the budget. From that point on, they never made a full payment. And there were many years no payment was made. And they were brought to court saying that um, it's against the law not to make the payment. You're breaking your own law. And right. somehow it's... It just continued and continued. Plus, she added like a 1% increase to the pension payments. Besides taking the money out, she did that. Uh, The Department of Labor, Treasury, and Commerce oversees all the pension funds, and there are fees to manage them because they invest them on Wall Street. But when they made this one particular law about overseeing them and making sure they're regulating fees, they never included the phrase public employees. So that meant that Wall Street management fees went sky high. They pay an exorbitant amount of money to manage the investments. And then we're not even talking about the fact that while they're doing that, there were certain years, it was never on the front page, but somewhere in a small little article in the business section, they'd say, oh, hedge fund investments, and in two weeks, I forgot how many, billion, $18 billion, a huge amount of money loss. Mm-hmm. So the state of New Jersey needs to start looking, looking at themselves and stop blaming the employees. Uh, in this country, two-thirds of the states contribute at least 90% of full funding. Now, that's according to Moody. New Jersey contributed only 28%, and that's not going through the years when they did nothing, absolutely nothing. So then in 2011, they had a pension reform law under Christie, and he increased the pension from 5.5 to 7.5, and he increased the age of retirement. So that way he said it'll, it'll help in terms of uh, slowing down the money going out. And by the way, he mm-hmm. made some huge payments into the pension fund. Then it came time to make the payments, and he reneged and said, no, I don't have to do it. Well, I thought when you sign a contract, it's binding. But meanwhile, the teachers still have to pay up to 75%. Uh, so, so, so it's binding benefits. on them. Right. It's only it's binding, binding on them. It's binding on them, there, right. Right. You know, This is amazing. And I would love to know, you know, they talk about another thing you want to do is to merge different districts. And so, that therefore, they'll have uh, shared services and... Yeah, there are some towns that can. But what happens, we know with mergers, there's always a winning side and a losing side. How is that going to affect the children and the shared services? Because things look very good on paper. And as a former educator, I know, I I used to write documents for the state in terms of what worked and what didn't work. And when Mm -hmm. you put things on paper, it may look great, but in reality, it's not happening because, oops, we had a little problem. Uh, our district – and again, people need to know that each district regulates and has their own collective bargaining, which is going down the tubes. More and more people are losing their rights to um, collective bargaining. An arbitrator just comes in and says, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. But since when do people work around the clock, no substitute in a school over thirty kids. will split the classes up. Oh, there's no substitute. Put them in the auditorium. Let them use it as a study, a study hall.
2: Right. Or
5: if you have a break, and you're supposed to be running copies off of different things, and um, you know, higher level thinking because no more books anymore. And um, and then the copy machine is broken, of course. They only they have an insufficient amount, or they don't pay for ink or paper. You have to buy your own. And then they
2: say to you, well, no, what you, you must. What is that all about? I've heard I heard <laughs> from many people who oh, yeah. uh, were married yeah. to teachers or who <clears throat> were teachers and who or who yeah. are teachers, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're not reimbursing you for these uh, extra expenditures that uh, you're making Well, yeah, they're saying to you and that you're
5: being held, again, because it's written contractually, you're being held to do certain things. But then all of a sudden, a certain year the contract or whatever, the district decides, oh, we don't have enough, sufficient amount of money for um, ink, for the, for the computers. Well, what are you supposed to do? You have to have these documents, even for yourself at the end when you're doing your evaluation process. So you have to go out and buy it. Otherwise, you're going to show, with not having the documents on time, you're faulty. It's amazing, not, uh, not having a substitute, well, now you must work your, your period when you're supposed to be either A, going to the lavatory, no, too bad, um, or going to the machine to get all these materials that you need and documentation that you need. And then there were some districts that actually have people working on their lunch hour, which is illegal, goes against the labor
2: board. I, that's and what happened for a long time, even with uh, yes. the Department of Employment type of stuff. I've worked for, like, uh, yes. things that are yes. a contractor from the Department of Labor the Department of Employment, yes. and they'd often have you work uh, into your lunch hour or uh, after hours and then wouldn't right. uh, compensate you for it. And this was for the DOE or DOL, you know, so. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. So in this country,
5: I w- was reading that there are four trillion dollars sitting in country. this country's public pension system. There are states that do manage because they've made their payments and they didn't balance their budget on the backs of people that were making their payments and, and, and people not, the state not making their payments and you figure that started in 1997 so you have Look how many years now, 21 years of not having payments, and Christy reneging. And then, of course, uh, Sweeney worked with Christy to push through Chapter 78, uh, which was horrifying because what it meant is that you were going to pay more into your health benefits plan. When you pay more into your health benefits plan, it's fine. Everybody had to pull a bit more in, but it was very unequal. Uh, I can't understand why you wouldn't pay a flat fee regardless if you were someone five years in the system or someone who was 30 years in the system. No, if you're, in, you're in their five years, you pay like maybe 7.9% of your benefit um, according to your salary. And if you are 30 years, the more years and the more money you make, you pay a higher percentage. So like when mm-hmm. I left, it was paying like one-third, one-third because I made more money. But if I paid, if it was a mean flat 10%, it wouldn't matter. I would be paying more than somebody that came in at five years paying only seven. Why am I paying, being penalized for being there longer? When you're there in terms of seniority, you would be paying more anyway if it was a flat rate. Unlike the state tax plan, in New Jersey, where if, you know, with this whole issue with the millionaire's tax and Murphy's trying right. to bring it back because Christie made sure that they were taxed less when you made over a certain amount of money. If you made over, it's called a millionaire's tax, but uh, if you made over $500,000, your tax rate actually is lower than if you were making under 200000 That middle... That middle stands where a lot of people fall were paying a higher amount, so I could see why Sweeney is presenting for two reasons two reasons why he's presenting this and and the hit it'll be taken by public employees, and they'll be paying more and if you're negotiating and bargaining for a contract and you have none, you don't go up a step, but yet you still have more taken out, right. whether it be for your benefits or um, uh, one thing is that. He wanted to be the governor. NJEA did not endorse him. Matter of fact, NJEA did the opposite. They, uh, They said, we can't endorse Sweeney because he threw Chapter 78 at us, where we're being penalized for teaching all these years. And we're retiring later, and we get less of a percentage, even though we've been putting the money in all these years. We've been faithfully putting – we don't have that option of saying, no, I'm not making a payment. Because the money you put in is taking care of those that have retired already. So if you're going to put someone into a 401k plan, Uh how are they going to pay for today's uh, retirees? Where is that money coming from if that money gets shifted? Right. Yeah, and See, then comes phase two. Guess what? It seems
2: kind of shady. All of <laughs> It is yeah, very like shady. Too-
5: and, and then he's saying, no, I, I, I don't think we should do the millionaires' tax. Well, it's proven that the people that leave New Jersey are not in the millionaires' bracket. They are not making 500 k and plus. They are actually making less money. They are retirees <laughs> that are leaving the state so they don't have to pay taxes on their pension or whatever, you know, have lower taxes. Um, so that's a total fallacy, total fallacy. But he's very upset with the teachers' union because not only did they not endorse him, they, I'm sure you read in the paper now they found out that one of the people that was giving money to um, Murphy with the campaigns and about this millionaire tax is NJEA. Well, NJEA has that right. To uh, when someone's working against them and he's such a, as he says, you know, a big union man, they have a right to say, well, he's not working in the benefit for the benefit of the employees at all. Not at all. Matter of fact, you know, with all the things that he's planning to do with merging districts, well, then you're going to have to pay for busing. So where is the saving? Where is the saving if you're going to be paying for busing now for kids? It would work in certain districts, like up here we have regional schools, and it works, but uh, there are certain districts where the needs like for special ed or certain programs you pull the money away or any services away, you know, how are you going to meet the needs of these children? Uh, a good example of that is on, on the private um, in the spec ed uh, uh, situation, that window, a lot of children with certain issues that needed a lot of attention would be sent out to private companies so they would get smaller one-on-one help and people that were trained. So it would be Mm -hmm. for the benefit of the child's growth. Now a lot of cities are not doing that. They are actually, you know, and it's under the guise of mainstreaming. And, yes, mainstreaming is great. Because people all learn to get along together and you work together. But then there are certain situations where it does not work. You know, if you have a class, uh, I mean, this one person called me up and said, I'm teaching a music class. I now have second graders and a fourth grade class because they have no substitutes and they put them in. And then they divide it up because they don't have somebody for um, a severely autistic class they are now merging them in with two classes in a classroom. So here this person has two separate classes plus 10 autistic children that need specific environmental situations. Like there will be some that cannot have scissors in the room, you know, if it's an art room. uh, There are certain things that you cannot do because it will endanger the child. So I'm trying to see how all this cost-effectiveness – how that's supposed to be better?
2: It, it isn't. Just like with uh, medicine, the cost-effectiveness, uh, right. although you can make a case for it, it's not led to better uh, health care or a healthier public. impact no. it, it seems it, to make, be, it makes be it a very wealthy
5: pharma industries. Yes, <coughs> uh, and and this is the way it is now. And and people have to say, well, wait a minute. If you, I'm glad to see people in Amazon and. And Google, obviously, under anonymity, coming all these little things that come out. But um, Amazon, they just said, no, we want a union, and we need certain rights here. And I think if more and more people start communicating what's going on and people realize how horrific it is in a lot of situations, Maybe then, you know, they'll start thinking that there's something really drastically wrong. You know, maybe at one point, maybe unions were too powerful. I don't know. I mean, there's always a little um, pendulum swing, but it has gone all well, the way back I, to the 40s I, now.
2: I had, yes, it has. And it's a bad place to be. I remember I'd mixed uh, feelings about the unions back in like the 80s. Uh, right. Because uh, my father uh, belonged to a union for very many years. Uh, and then, uh, you know, t- toward the end, when he wasn't moving as uh, quickly uh, as he had been, uh, the union really he uh, did not uh, defend him like they, he thought they might, uh, and he wound up working uh, for minimum wage again, basically. And he'd been he put in like decades um, into his profession, and uh, also I know uh, when I worked in the hospital systems, uh, the unions often seem to lose things for us, you know, like, like I remember one case when uh, uh, Martin Luther King Day, um, right. uh, to get Martin Luther King Day as a, as a paid holiday and things like that, I lost two weeks vacation, because they, they made Martin Luther King Day a holiday, and you know and I believe that Martin Luther King should have a holiday, but I, I didn't like losing two weeks over that Not victory. at the course of what you're losing
5: more than what you have, I agree, and that Not has like to do the- with, with who is running the union. Because very, very many uh, people have learned when you have a very strong union president, you need to do something about it.
4: <coughs>
5: Excuse me. And one way you do it is by getting them on your side. You know, you put them in another position so they're grateful to you. Um, it's maneuvering. And, and can they be bought off? And um I remember when one particular supervisor in the school system took care of certain people and gave them these great literacy jobs, and they were a supervisor, you know, a middle management position and out of the right. classroom, and they were indebted to her. And then th- very unethical things started happening to people because when you owe favors like that, there are people who are very unethical and they're going to ask you for payback. So you've got to think twice about what you're willing, you know, what kind of morals are you will, and scruples are you willing to give up? And you might say, well, I didn't know I'd have to do this. or, And some are very glad to do it because they see it about themselves, not realizing that it's right. a total decline, total decline of everyone involved. It's a total picture because once one person gets knocked down in terms of benefit and they could say, you know, in a school system they could say, well – we're going to go privatize. Well, it may be them one day, but it could be you tomorrow. And people right. don't look down the road to see the long-range effects, whether it be privatization, whether it be um, – well, I'm, I'm sure Mr. S- Sweeney you know, is making a nice amount of change and doesn't want to pay more taxes. So, of course, he would love to see people that um, – the union that put money to uh, his competitor – and, and therefore he didn't get to run for the governor, and yet you still see him constantly trying to undercut the governor, saying that if a governor doesn't sign this, well, then I'm going to go ahead with this and try and get it done myself. Well, it sounds mm-hmm. a little bit too much like the White House to me, that you're forgetting that there is, it's not about your power. It's about doing things for the good of the constituency.
2: And that's what Chauncey Brown has spoken of. That's what Bill speaks of. Uh, that's what right. uh, Mark Zinn has spoken of. That's what Mayor Peter Austin has spoken of. It should be about governing and um, leading. Um, but we have a system of uh, selection that's a popularity contest, You know, <laughs> you know, and – The position doesn't always go to the most uh, uh, qualified. It goes to the most appealing uh, to you know to people. Right, and uh, and what's really sad. At the time.
5: Exactly, and what's very sad is, I can understand people wanting to work with like-minded people so you can get bills passed and this and that. But you need to have a total picture of what's going on. And a good example of that is, you know, within one school system, they had something called the Instructional Council. And it's made up of different educators that have a a pulse within the union that have a pulse on what's going on in all these different job positions because every job is different. And very often it would just be friends, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. You should not be that comfortable with your friends so you have all like-minded ideas. You need to have varying ways of looking at things. I as a special um interest person, you know, being a special area, which means I'm teaching like a, was teaching a thousand nine hundred to thousand kids uh a week and had to uh-huh. do um multiple levels, my situation was different than being in a classroom with only thirty kids because my lessons had to be for eight to nine different class class um levels. You know, K-6 and special ed and gifted. And then varying them to the, modifying them to the, the need of the, of that particular class and where they were. And there was not a minute in between. And, you know, people would say, well, logically, well, then the person's going to wait. And they'll allow you to go to the laboratory or this or that. Not so. You know, not so. Things may look very nice and organized on paper but the reality of the situation is that things get altered by saying well there's an exception to the rule here there's only one person and we need to make this schedule and so she's going to have to work four mm-hmm. periods or five periods in a row without a break which is illegal and they get away with it by contract language so when i hear people say what do you mean you know you're working four hours or or three hours straight without stopping to talk or sit? you're not allowed to and or go to the laboratory well, that's the way it is you know, and in another situation, someone won't in another town because they have enough people spread out, so it varies by location and and, and, and that's part of the problem. People need to hear the other side of the story because it's different in rural communities than it is in suburban communities, than it is in urban communities, and then the town next door is even going to be different because as I know you know now, politics determines a lot of it. You know, who's sitting on the board of ed, who's related to whom, you know.
2: And I just looked at the clock. We've we've talked over 20 minutes <laughs> over our segment. I enjoyed it so much. Um, well, it was interesting. Uh, yes, it, it is. And it yeah. all comes
5: down to perspective and finding out all the information. You know, we say, well, the fake news, this, that. No. You know, the problem is there are many ways of looking at the same
1: problem. That's something, yes.
5: Yes, and and even beyond that, there are about another hundred perspectives of the people doing different jobs related to that job.
2: That that's very true, and that's uh, how um, I started a new uh, uh, show, a new segment with uh, Chauncey Brown. He's a conservative uh, Republican, right? And uh, he's running for mayor in, uh, I believe, uh, Patterson. And uh, in 2022, and uh, he sees things very differently for me in terms of uh, spiritually, in terms of uh, politically, in terms of, you know, lots of things, Um, very, very different from how I see them. But when we uh, have conversations, we're on the same wavelength you know, in terms of being, you know, like one with the universe and serving humanity and uh, hooking up to the greatest as you conceive it, and that it's all perspective, you know, and perspectives change. So I'm glad to hear those words out of your mouth too, because that's what binds us together. And you know, you do
5: have to hear different perspectives, and as long as you can deal with one another with respect. And I I just said something recently to someone in, in relation to, it's not about This party, that party, this far right, this far left. It is about who is going to sit and and effectively listen and present the different situations and say, well, how can we make this a better situation? How can we make this better? And do it nonviolently because I, I see a lot of disrespect and a lot of violence out there more than ever before. And, and I'm amazed because I would always hear, oh, remember the riots or this or that. Let me tell you, there is more hate on a higher percentage now, now than ever before. Even driving on the yes, road, I mean, just intimidation for the wrong reason. So you can get one car length ahead, or maybe because I'm driving a Jeep and you have a Dodge Ram. I mean, really? You know, I, it's this this acquisition of power and control rather than how can we do this together and make this a better situation.
2: And that becomes our collective uh, task as uh, yes. Argonauts, yes. as uh, individuals, <laughs> as people living in this yes, uh, day and age, because it's, it's what's most uh, needed. Um, are there any closing words of wisdom you'd care uh, to share? And I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing this uh, conversation both on and off the air, because that is the root <laughs> of our dilemma. And, uh, yes, um, you know, look at every, you know, before you judge,
5: how about looking at all the different aspects of a person's job and all the jobs related to that, rather than listening to someone go out there and spout how, um, yeah, we need to do all this and it's going to save taxpayer money without getting the history of how it got this way. And again, doing a very common thing that's being done now, but turning it around back at the person asking the question. No way in a town hall should a person be told to sit down and no, we're not answering that question. No way in a contract negotiation should a person, and this was done recently in a town, where they got up and yes. the, the president held the mic and was able to pull it away and said, no, we're only answering certain questions. No, we need to look at this 360 degrees and let's see what brought us to this this point and how can we effectively get
2: out of this without hurting people. Thank you so very much. Very wisely said and powerfully said in the best place we could possibly end this uh, segment. I look forward to talking to you, Astrid. You're awesome. And uh, um, let's do it.
5: Most definitely You take care and have a great night And in a few days you'll be celebrating another birthday So I'm sending you love and light For a wonderful another year of life
2: Thank you very much Greatly appreciated And again thank you You're awesome
5: Take care, have a great night
2: You too uh, We're going to listen to Brent Kedorian's King of Dreams And then we'll be back With Tony Mariswicki And Eurgic Activism
0: Wake up for no good reason. Sometime during the night, we fill thy scattered mind, dreamy pale moonlight. Do you wake up? He said.
2: Welcome back to the Elysium Project I'm your host, Hercules Invictus And it's been quite an adventure today Getting the show uh, on the air Uh, But now we're into our last segment And we'll be speaking with Tony Mirzwicki About theurgic activism and the issue of abortion Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project, Tony Hi, Hercules, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. All my technical skills, and they're not great, we're challenged today
6: <laughs> to get the show in the air, but here we
2: are, so uh, it all ended well. How are it, you?
6: It's all meant to be. I'm, I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, we only have half an hour, and so we've got a lot of material to get through, so I wanted to, to and, summarize and before you, where before we before got up.
2: With, okay, before you proceed with that, um, I, I'm starting a new series of dialogues and I'd like to have you on for an hour um, a month so we can do this. So this way it's not half hour. It's, it's, uh, you know, we, we could have a leisurely dialogue about these issues. If you're interested, think I, about it. Uh,
6: yeah, I, I, I like leisurely dialogues. I like our fireside chats.
2: So awesome. We will do it, and now I turn the scepter over to you. It's your half hour.
6: Okay, um, I basically wanted to to bring us up to speed, um, so we okay. know exactly where we let, left off so just to summarize where we got up to last time was um, the situation in ancient Greece was that when a boy was born into a Greek family, it was a cause for celebration. The arrival of a girl, however, didn 't bring as much happiness to the family circle as women in ancient Greece were seen. As a liability, and that their only value to society was their ability to give birth, preferably to boys. Thus, women were secluded, subjugated, and muted. Once a wife gave birth to a baby, its kiddios, or guardian, who was usually the father, decided whether or not to keep the baby or whether the baby should be exposed. And evidence suggests that girls were exposed more often than boys, although that isn't absolutely certain. So he could determine to not raise the baby for several reasons. So, for example, in cases of deformity or if the family was already too big or if the mother was unmarried, if it was decided the baby should be exposed, it was usually given to a servant so that the servant could leave it somewhere at the mercy of the elements. That way, if the infant died, the family would not Mm -hmm. have blood on its hands. Because they did not directly murder the baby Sometimes an unwanted baby would be left out in a public place So it could be taken and raised as a slave If the guardian decided to raise the infant girl She was given a name on the fifth or seventh day after its birth And so this was an event called the Amphidromia Which was a ceremony that was restricted only to the members of the Oikos Which which means the household um, Mm -hmm. and, And also to the midwives now, as, as we know, the center of the, house, of the house cult was the hearth. So anyone who was yes. to be included into the household had to be brought to the hearth. And, of course, to Hestia, who was the, the goddess of the hearth. So the baby would be brought into the household for the first time, probably from the women's quarters. The baby would be carried by a member of the household who ran around the hearth, thereby assuring her of Hestia's protection. Who actually carried the baby is uncertain but the baby was thus officially welcomed to the family with a name. A boy's name was given to him to another event called the decata, which was a more expansive ceremony, which occurred on the 10th day after the birth of the baby, where all the relatives feasted and were entertained, and it was also open to the public, but by invitation only. So women weren't seen as permanent members of the oikos, they were seen as transitory members who would leave the household once they got married, which normally happened at the age of 14. So during that time, they were often seen as a liability because they would drain the resources of the of the household, and also the girl had to be provided with a dowry for someone to take up. So a woman's function in the Oikos was to give birth to sons who would continue the family line. Sons participated in the family business, which sustained the Oikos When the sons married, the wife's dowry enriched the household, and they were obligated to take care of the old parents. Sons were seen as a resource because their activities helped enrich and sustain the independence of the native oikos. So that's the way it went down in ancient Greece, and obviously the ancient Greek model needs to be updated. So that men yes. and women are treated as equals and that's one of the things I emphasize in my book Hellenismos. constantly I say that we can't blindly follow the example of the ancients what we should be doing is modernizing but staying true to the spirit of the ancients um,
2: there's I, I agree with, a with you 100% there uh, yeah. the ancients had slavery. the ancients had uh, uh, definite uh, inequity between the uh, genders uh, uh, and the ancients uh, committed uh, several other atrocities that we our world will be better without uh, but as you said it 's an evolution
6: uh, yes, we're exa- not the exactly. ancients. yeah um one of one of my core beliefs is that if if hellenismus hadn't been wiped out by Christianity and it evolved. To this day and time, it would be a very different religion. It would be a religion where men and women were treated equally. There was no slavery. It would be much more palatable um, for for modern taste. I agree. Um, I, I really believe it would have changed. So um, getting back to what we covered last time, there is actually a dark side to all this. And in the 1930s, archaeologists were excavating the Athenian Agora, which is the marketplace in the center of the ancient Greek yeah. city. And they found a well which contained the skeletons of 450 dead infants, um, along with dogs and puppies and the skeleton of one adult with serious physical deformities, um, So the babies appear to have died naturally, and they were all less than a week old at the time of death. So it seems that if a baby died before the ceremony, the the naming ceremony, its body was discarded, and it wasn't probably interred. So my feeling on the matter is that if the babies didn't value babies prior to them being named, it's obvious that they did not value unborn fetuses either. Um, there are philosophers who would disagree, and that sort of leads us to the issue of ensoulment. Aristotle believed that a fetus in early gestation has a soul of a the vegetable, then an animal, and only later it became animated with a human soul through a process that he referred to as ensoulment. And he believed that ensoulment occurred 40 days after conception for male fetuses, and 90 days after conception for female fetuses. So at that point. Wow. You have, you have the quickening, which is an indication of the presence of a soul. That's when um, a woman starts to feel movement within her womb, and pregnancy is certain. The Stoics, on the other hand, maintain that the living animal soul was received only at birth through contact with the outer air, and then it will be transformed into the rational soul only at the age of 14. Epicureanism and Pythagoreanism, Consider that ensoulment occurred at conception. Another point that I make in my book is that you have to draw a distinction between the musings of the philosophers and the practices of the the everyday people. Can you hear me? Right. Yeah. So um, the thing is that even though the the, the philosophers may be well read and everything else, their beliefs. Um, did not necessarily tally with um, what the what the average person. I've actually got a call coming through, and it's scam likely. Um, it's one of the good things about T-Mobile. They um, identify calls as being scam likely, so you know to definitely not pick them up. Okay, so moving right along, I wanted uh-huh. to talk about um, – are you into rap music at all?
2: Um, not very much. I like music generally. Uh, but I really don't follow music. So I like listening to all, all sorts of uh, music, even rap music, uh, but uh, I don't know anything about rap music.
6: Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm probably more into classic rock. That's the sort of stuff I grew up with, but I, I, don't, mind. I, I don't mind good rap when I hear it. But I wanted to talk about an American rapper who calls himself Offset, He's a rapper, okay. and a singer, and songwriter from Lawrenceville, Georgia. He was born Kiari Kendrell Cephas on December 14, 1991, and he's a member of the hip-hop and trap music trio Migos, and he's also had solo projects. He's married to an American rapper called Cardi B, and they've collaborated together on a video um, called Clouts, which is available on YouTube. It's quite an amazing video if you want to check it out. The reason and why I'm bringing him loved. up... Yeah, yeah. Um, quite an entertaining video. You'll, you'll know what I mean when you see it. But um, the reason why I'm bringing him up is that last Saturday evening, which is May 25th, 2019, he made his feelings known on Twitter, criticizing Alabama's law, which outlaws abortion at any stage and does not allow an exemption for victims of rape or incest. And so abortion will only be permitted in the States should the pregnancy pose a life-threatening health risk to the mother, Should it become enforced in 2020? So what he actually tweeted was, new laws is slavery. To force a rape victim to keep a child is slavery. I'm not proud to say I'm from America. Unfortunately, he misspelt slavery, and afterwards he said that he was really angry at the time, and he apologised for the typo. So what happened after that was that it really polarized people in the music and political spheres. So some people supported him and some people criticized him. So one of the people who um, backed him was the famed producer, Michael made it. And he argued that the rapper had a right to speak up for what he believes in. So others added that it was refreshing to see a hip hop artist who doesn't often voice political opinions, support women and their right to choose. And a number of other celebrities have spoken out criticizing the law including rappers Lupe Fiasco, Flock of Flame, John Legend, Chelsea Handler, Michael Rapaport, and Barbara Streisand. It's nice to see Barbara Streisand still making the news after yep. all these years. It is. So um, the question is, is it reasonable to compare depriving women from safe abortions to slavery? So that was actually the topic that I wanted to talk about today. um, Uh, That is a
2: very uh, good question. And uh, um, it is one that, uh, an opinion that my wife has voiced uh, many times as well. You're saying, in effect, that uh, the state owns your uterus and uh, you don't
6: have a right to your own uterus, your own body part. Exactly. You're you're stealing my thunder here. That's exactly the point that I was going to make. I actually 100% believe, 100% Um, except what he's saying, that there is a direct correlation between these anti-abortion laws and slavery. So I was going to briefly talk about a couple of issues. So initially there's the issue of body integrity, which is the inviolability of the physical body and it emphasises the importance of personal autonomy and the self-determination of human beings over their own bodies. In the field of human rights, violation of the body integrity of another is regarded as an unethical infringement, intrusive and possibly criminal. one thing I always find myself referring to is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was adopted yes. by the United Nations General Assembly in December 1948. Um, in particular, I, I tend to refer, refer to the clause that refers to freedom of religion. So whenever I have anyone trying to force their religious views on me, I basically say that they're infringing one of my rights. So basically it consists of 30 articles which recognize the inherent dignity and equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family as being the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. So I wanted to draw your attention to Article 4, which reads, No one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery in the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. So even though there's nothing explicitly there about the right to abortion, it does talk about the right of everyone to have basic freedoms, and surely this includes the freedom over one's body. After all, slavery takes away a person's freedom over their own body and gives it to their owner. So um, I note that on September the 27th, 2018, experts from the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commission said in a statement to mark International Safe Abortion Day, which took place the following day on the 28th of September, that states across the world should act now to decriminalise abortion and make every effort to ensure women and girls have the right to take their own decisions about pregnancy. Um, I actually have the whole statement in front of me. I'm not sure if I should be reading it out or not because I'm looking at about five minutes to get through it all. But basically what they do is that they – Well, this is
2: going to be an ongoing dialogue, Tony. So uh, uh, you're you're taking steps forward from the last show, and then this will continue, and you'll have more time. So uh, yeah. uh, you're well, doing an awesome, you me job to, of
6: giving the background. Yeah. Do, do you want me to read it out? If you like, take sure. about five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we have, uh, it, it's, it's actually really good. It, ba- it basically puts that statement in the context of the 30 articles that have been around for um, since um, – well, for, for many, many years. They've been around since um, 1948. Um So what it says is an estimated 225 million women worldwide are deprived of access to modern contraception, often leading to unplanned pregnancy. For girls, issues arising from pregnancy and childbirth are some of the most common causes of death in developing countries, with those under 15, five times more at risk. Unsafe abortions cause the deaths of some 47,000 women each year and a further 5 million suffers some form of temporary or permanent disability maternal mortality violates the rights to life health equality and freedom from being discriminated against issues around access to safe legal abortion are at the very core of a woman's fundamental right to equality privacy and physical and mental health, and these are preconditions for the enjoyment of other rights and freedoms. We hope that important steps taken in some countries to reclaim women's reproductive rights through referendums, legislative and judicial action can be followed in others. Too many women are physically and verbally mistreated or simply denied emergency medical care After abortions, this amounts to another means of punishment, which violates international law. And in many instances, national laws and policies, governments have a duty to ensure that women and girls who have abortions are treated humanely, without judgment or assumption of violating laws, in particular in cases of miscarriages. Legal frameworks for abortion have typically been designed to control women's decision-making through the use of criminal law. Data from the World Health Organization clearly demonstrates that criminalizing determination of pregnancy does not reduce the number of women who resort to abortion procedures. Rather, it is likely to increase those clandestine and unsafe procedures. Concerns about unsafe abortion must be addressed through public health, relevant medical mal- practice and civil laws. It is therefore crucial that countries demonstrate their commitment to eliminating discrimination against women in their legislation to advancing women's and adolescent sexual and reproductive rights in accordance with international human rights standards, the experts emphasised. So that's basically it. It's a very powerful statement. But one thing that really jumps out at me is that by outlawing abortion, they're not going to prevent it. Because wealthy women are going to travel to either another state or another country, have a short holiday during which they have an abortion. It's the poor women who have been discriminated against. And they're going to be forced to go to back alley abortionists and subject themselves to to horrific treatments involving coat hangers. And that's led to infections and many, many deaths. You're never going to stop abortion. The thing is it, it should be kept safe. Um. Yeah. So let's discuss.
2: Okay. I. I. Uh, th- th- that is incredible. If you can post a link to the entire document so that people can go uh, read this for themselves, uh, that that is very uh, uh, comprehensively stated. And um, as Astrid pointed out in the previous segment, we're going backwards,
0: yes.
4: and
2: it's it, it, instead of forwards and. The golden age for the people who um, are trying to rebuild it, in their estimation, uh, was actually a horrible time for most people. So it's not a a golden age that uh, uh, most would want to return to. And we gained so much, and now we're fast uh, losing it. Uh, The same way we acknowledge that going back to ancient Greece and living in that way would not be good, Uh, These folk are not looking and examining What the social realities were at the time And uh, they want to bring back a better time That they remember But they're bringing back all the evils of the day Some
6: of which we had uh, uh, I thought we had outgrown In the uh, subsequent decades and centuries Exactly Um, 1900 was a time When a lot of repressive Anti-abortion legislation was brought in We're basically going back to 1900 We've had decades during which women have fought very, very hard to have rights over their own body. And those rights are being taken away. If you take those rights away, what's next? Are they going to lose the right to vote? Are they going to lose um, equal treatment in the workplace? It's, It's just absolutely wrong. We need to be moving forward, as your previous guest said, to a time where everyone's treated equally.
2: Oh, I agree. And uh, as you pointed out last time when this conversation uh, first started, um, we, as men, owe it to the women in our life and on the planet to support them in this uh, struggle and to do all we can by contacting legislators and and so forth. Because uh, if we're striving towards... Uh, uh, the dignity of uh, the human uh, soul and identifying with the human condition and, and operating from a, even a human level, forget a divine level uh, we need to get past the tribalism uh, and the neo-tribalism that right now is pitting us against each other and, and almost like a gladiator combat that's engulfing the globe
6: the, the biggest problem is that you have people who um, believe that their religious beliefs um, give them some sort of mandate to impose their views on everyone else. Yeah, um, and the problem the problem is that there's so much confusion in in interpreting what's in the Bible. There are a number of Christian organisations and Jewish organisations who state outright that the Bible has nothing to say about abortion. And one of the points that I was trying to make um, last time that we spoke was that the Bible does seem to recommend horrific treatments against kids. You know, they talk about um, when, when the Israelites would go in and conquer a nation, but, um, blessed is he who who um, bashes these babies' heads against the rocks. And then there's been, there are references to, to women who are pregnant having their babies ripped out of their wombs. So obviously yes. um, the, the, the Old Testament God doesn't seem to hold unborn babies or even little kids in particularly high regard. But yet you've got people who supposedly follow the Bible ignoring all those verses and, and talking about the sanctity of of life when it's unborn but then these same people are totally disinterested in helping women once they give birth they don't want the mooching off the system they they don't want to give them subsidized housing they don't want to give them food stamps they don't want to give them any sort of aid whatsoever but yet they're trying to force them to carry their babies to term it's, right it's it's so absolutely wrong it's it's not. It's not a pro-life movement, it's a pro-birth movement. They don't particularly care what happens to the babies after they're born.
2: Anyway. Why, could that, why do you think that is? Because um, I believe I've uh, told this story uh, countless times about how uh, things that happened in psychiatric hospitals, because I worked uh, as a therapist in psychiatric hospitals, a recreation director, Uh, didn't make sense in terms of uh, discharges until you understood how insurance paid for hospitalization. But it made perfect sense. So something is being gained beyond what we can see by things happening the way they're happening because uh, the people who are suggesting these uh, um, atrocities, aside from their uh, religious views, uh, are thinking you know, intelligent people so there, there's something else going on uh, what's coming into focus for me as uh, I explore this issue more and more is uh, the fact that uh, within less than a century Caucasians will be a minority in this country mm-hmm. and look at through that lens a lot of it starts making more sense than it made before I, I don't know if that's true but uh, that's what I can see based on where I'm currently standing
6: I've heard very similar statements made um, regarding Europe. Um, I've I've read that even if the borders were sealed off now, given um, birth rates amongst the various nationalities, um, the indigenous Europeans will become a minority by 2050. So, so, and there and there, there are only there are only two countries that have closed off their borders to. Um, to, to immigrants, to, to non-indigenous immigrants, and they're Poland and Hungary. Um, so the other countries are changing, um, and I'm frankly worried about what I hear about happening in those countries. Um, but that's not really a topic for discussion here. Um, things will, will eventually sort themselves out one way or the other. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that there probably is some sort of some sort of agenda. on not quite sure what it is yet Um, it's going to take a lot of investigating to to work out what it is but if any of your listeners have any ideas um, I'm more than open to hear them
2: that is awesome and I'm looking at the clock we have uh, five minutes left for the show Uh, thank you for fitting in so much information and so much uh, looking um, material because uh, uh, it, it's easy with all the distractions and all the different ways our attention is full to lose sight of our basic humanity and that's what seems to be uh, um, happening. How can folks uh, contact you to discuss this with you?
6: Um, probably the easiest way is, is, is through Facebook. Um, I, I tend to monitor Facebook a lot. I have, I have a personal page and I also have an author page um, there's there's my website as well, but there are issues with with the website that I need to um, I need to fix up. But I, I can receive messages from that. I think Facebook is probably still the, the best way to go. Um, you've already provided links. Yeah.
2: And uh, when we uh, off uh, the air as we structure this new uh, show. Uh, we can include uh, people calling in and let people know that they can call in. And we can spend part of the show listening to their questions or um, their perspectives or their uh, advice or their guidance. Uh, I think that would be awesome. I, I, th-
6: I think that'd be good. Um, I, I I enjoy um, um, intelligent discussions like that. Um, just hope so we don't have any trolls ringing up trying to trying to discuss things. Um, and I think that if we have people of like mind ringing and contributing ideas, we may actually be able to, to come up with things that do work. But um, as we've emphasized, um, not just here, but um, we've had the, um, the theurgic panel, um, we need to be engaging in activism, and that activism takes two forms. You've got the normal time-honored means of activism, which, which include um, writing letters, as, as you pointed out, um, demonstrations. Um, also, now there's social media. We can make your thoughts known. Um, you know, things like Twitter, other other things as well. Just just to get your message out there. But there's there's also um, magical assistance as well, and yes. work out what deities work best for you and there are certain deities that you're going to work with better than with others. So en- enlist those deities. And one, one thing that my experiences has shown me is even if you have a large group working with a broad selection of gods, um, all that seems to come together. Um, if we're all aiming towards the same end, it doesn't matter what gods we're working with, whether we're working with gods or, or, or angels or, or even Catholic saints, we, we can, st- we can still accomplish a hell of a lot. And, I would, and, I would love it if I would love it if we could get disparate groups together, working to to, to improve our society, make make society um, a, a more equitable place. I'm I'm happy to work with anyone to accomplish that.
2: Awesome. I'm honored to be working with you on that, and uh, thank you I'm so very to be much, Tony. i you I'm, too.
6: <laughs> thank you, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. So am I. Have a great evening, and thank you for having me. You too, and thank you
2: for being on. And thanks to all our listeners for listening in. Uh, please contact Tony, contact me, uh, get involved in this uh, dialogue because it's a call to action, it's a wake-up call. Until next time, this is Tony and Hercules wishing you joyous journeys and great adventures. Mm-hmm.